This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. This is C-SPAN's 14 special coverage of an important meeting of the Asian American Secret Society, also known as ASS, uh, the organization that touts itself as keepers of the secret that Asian adults tend to look approximately one half of their actual age. Now, ASS has let us broadcast their meetings with the acknowledgement that no one pays attention to Asian men, or C-SPAN for that matter, anyway. Uh, it's kind of rude. Anyway, oh, I see Scott, age 87, is opening the Zoom meeting now with Brad, age 80, and Nate, age 87. Uh, 77. Uh, let's tune in. Asian don't raisin, my brothers. <laughs> Asian don't raisin. <laughs> Asian don't raisin. All right, so we have present at this gathering of ass um asian american secret society um as we are getting advanced in age you know i'm, I'm forgetting how old y'all are but um yeah well we have we have important business to take to talk about um, well my so, my 87th yeah. birthday i mean my 38th birthday right. is is coming up in in like is a it? week or in a couple of weeks so right. yeah so uh, have has have you told gail about uh, your age no so i would appreciate it if you don't say anything all right so we're <laughs> going to keep that secret making a note <laughs> all right so apparently zach malm wants in to, to ask um there's a slight problem in that he i don't think he's asian actually he he might think he's asian do you guys he have thoughts he looks white so i don't know he appears to be but you know we can't I mean, I, is, is, I I look yeah. white, so you know, it, right? You know, looks can be deceiving. Yeah, it can be sensitive to Brad here. Um, it's true. You look like a forty-year-old white man instead of an eighty-year-old white yeah. man. Yeah, but no, that's true. still, that's true. Yeah, I mean, for a white man born in nineteen forty-six, I think I look pretty good. But um, right, you right. know, yeah. Um, so the, the thing about Zach, yeah. the thing about Zach joining, in my opinion, is that. Is that I met Zach in Portland, and in Portland, uh, what I noticed is there's a lot of amazing Asian restaurants, uh, and there are no Asian people who work or um, cook or own at those, uh, you know, those restaurants. And um, I don't know if that's a, a kind of larger point for what we're talking about here, like this, you know, this problem that we're having. Uh, but I'll just put it out there. You know, Pacific Northwest, a lot of great food. Uh, just, but not a lot of, you know, people who aren't white, yeah, basically, people. you know, in the, in, in the PNW, right? Hmm. So, well, right. So, but he may be there, our only option for representation in the Pacific North, Northwest at this point, <laughs> in our, in our, in our community. I mean, there are Asians, well, each, but you know, in I mean, the, in, e- yeah, Ichiro, Ichiro retired from the Mariners and I don't yeah. think he's an ex, ex, ex evangelical. So that's a problem. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Bruce Lee yeah. was from there. Um, yeah. So, and I think Zach's actually from Seattle. So, um, yeah, that's a t- that's a tough one. Because even if he is white, it would be advantageous to have a white guy. Every group needs a white guy. This is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This would this right. this would come in this would come in handy at uh, at a, in a lot of places. You know what I mean? Yeah, certain rallies, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
All right, let's do some research and we'll convene again at another time. So sounds Asian, good. Asian don't raisin. Asian. Asian don't raisin. Asian don't raisin. This has been C-SPAN 14 special coverage of the General Ass Assembly. Uh, and I believe also in attendance was Brad's daughter, who appears to be an infant, but of course is 24. I regret to inform you, you're on Chapel Probation, a podcast that takes a critical look at evangelical colleges and universities. I'm your host, Scott Okamoto. You're probably wondering, how long are we going to keep this Asian American secret society ass bit going? I don't know. I like bringing together all these different podcasters to make terrible comedy. Um, so let me know. Yeah, let me know. You want you want us to keep this going? Because we're going to keep it going for right now. So, uh, yeah. So greetings. Reprobates. Around 2018, I was writing an early chapter of my book, um, which will be published next year, early next year, by Lake Drive Books. When I had an epiphany, I was typing the word evangelical for like the hundredth time, and I pictured an X in the word, X-vangelical. God damn it, that's brilliant. That, that could be the title of my book. I typed it into Google and immediately saw today's guest, Blake Chastain. He had created the exvangelical hashtag a couple years before, so it was already a thing. Yeah, I was a little bummed, but my book evolved into something different, um, so it was fine. It's fine. I'm fine. But who was this Blake Chastain? I joined the Exvangelical Facebook group that year and lurked for a bit, reading the countless threads of discussion and marveling at stories and just experiences and just damaged people like we all are. The term deconstruction was being used more and more and I was intrigued by what seemed to be a growing community. I left church and faith by myself, uh, well with my wife Jerry, fortunately, uh, about 13 years prior to that. So seeing people connecting and sharing their stories was heartbreaking, but also inspiring. It seemed this Blake Chastain fellow had created something big. And then I met Chrissy Stroop on Twitter, and she brought me into her group of ex-evangelical ex writers and academics. And in this group was Blake. And let me tell you, getting to know Blake has been a real privilege, no joke. He had me on his podcast, the Exvangelical Podcast, at the end of 2021, just before this podcast launched, and I'll be forever grateful for that. So many people have told me they found Chapel Probation because they heard me talking to Blake on Exvangelical. And what you're about to hear and find out is that Blake Chastain is one righteous dude. Hi, this is Blake Chastain. I went to Indiana Wesleyan University. I was a history and uh, biblical literature major when I started, but then I finished with a history and, and writing double majors uh, and a biblical minor. 
and my pronouns are he, him, his. Nice. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I know. It's an honor to have you here, man. Um, I was a writing major myself, so we have that in common. Awesome. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. it's <laughs> so, so. And the other thing we have in common is, so Indiana Wesleyan. Mm-hmm. Now, it, I went to Azusa Pacific. I did. I worked at Azusa Pacific. I didn't go to there. Um, mm-hmm. That they claim to be a Wesleyan school. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I ever fully understood what that meant, and I'm pretty sure they don't. Other than outside of the school of theology, no. Yeah, so. I feel like I don't know. I I'm a little unclear on the like Azusa history. I know that like there was the Azusa street revivals and things like that. Right. And I don't know how that connects. Which to has itself. very little to do with actually Azusa Pacific. Okay. Although they, they <laughs> like to infer a, a uh, connection there. Because, um, yeah, because yeah. the, because I think Azusa, the Azusa revivals is very right. Pentecostal. Pentecostal, right. And um, Wesleyans, like they are sort of, I, I grew up Methodist before I went to a uh, Wesleyan school and basically, to get into some Wesleyan Methodist history, the Wesleyans split from what would end up becoming the United Methodists over slavery in the, in the early pre eight, like around 1840, somewhere around right. there. And it was actually the Wesleyans who were abolitionists. Um, and then the, those who be, who eventually traced their history to the United Methodists uh, were not. And then, right. uh, then within the ensuing century, then they sort of, switched and the Wesleyans became the Wesleyans basically stayed socially conservative and the Methodists became more progressive. Um, but there, we did have some, some faculty that, that had ties to Azusa. So, um, yeah, so there was like some faculty at the time I was there, uh, which was 20 years ago now. Um, yeah. uh, because I'm an elder millennial. So like I, <laughs> um, I was there a while ago and it's changed a lot since then. So w- what were you like as a freshman? What was describe 18 year old Blake Chastain entering Indiana Wesleyan? I was pretty insufferable probably when I started. Like, <laughs> um, uh, I, I was very naive as an 18 year old, uh, going into, we, we all are. Yeah. <laughs> I had this like I never went to uh, I never went to private Christian school like uh, you know primary or secondary school. I always went to public school, um, and I was one of those you know kids that was always very earnest in in my faith from from a young age, and then was like a youth group uh, kid in the in the late nineties, uh, which was definitely like a scene. Uh, I mean, you could have been like a swing kid or a <laughs> or a uh, a youth group kid, and I was a youth group kid. And uh, I mean, there were other, obviously other scenes, but I'm just uh, being idiotic yeah. right now. But anyways, I, I remember I, the, the swing thing was big. <laughs> it, it, it was yeah. nationwide. Yeah, <laughs> um, daddyo. <laughs> that's right. Um, but I remember so like my my mindset in choosing a Christian college, I at sort of like the ripe old age of 17, I thought, Oh, I'm, I want to be a pastor. Um, and I like very solemnly sort of told my parents that that was what I felt like called to do. Um, and then I chose a, chose a Christian college, um, as like a way to start early. Just why not, why not go for it right away? Um, 
and my uh, so I chose Indiana Wesley, and I had one friend from high school that ended up also going there. Um, and my thoughts at the time were that this was going to be great because we are all Christians. You know, we're yeah. all there's you know we're we're going to be understanding of one another. It's not going to be like high school where you know yeah. like where there's temptation or there's like uh you know or disagreement or like it's because we all believe the same thing we're all going to get along and it's going to be great and that was shattered within like oh yeah you know <laughs> that was shattered within like the first night of like uh you know being in a dorm of repressed all guys you know like uh and the thing was, is, is like, it was a small school. It's still relatively small compared to large state schools, but like a lot of people came in with entire friend groups because they, oh. because the Wesleyan denomination is very tight. And like, if you, uh, you know, if you, your parent was a Wesleyan pastor, then, you know, you had some significant discounts. And so, a lot yeah. of people just knew people That's from like cred. church, from church camp and whatever else. Yeah. And like my best friend, one of my best friends to this day, I met the first night of, of, um, of college. And like, he came up to our room because he already knew my roommate, my sweet mates, like, <laughs> you know, and I was just, you know, just this, this uh, other person that, and it wasn't like that for everyone, but right. it was sort of my experience. And then, um, it was just, uh, you know, learn sort of, that was a, a rude awakening, awakening in and of itself of like realizing, Oh, okay. Like <laughs> we're not all perfect people. We're not all like pursuing the heart of God, uh, chastely and like, you know, and like, that's not even eventually very quickly it became something that not even I really wanted to do. And then I also didn't know about all the, like I, I, even though I signed like pledges, like, you know, no drinking, no drugs, no sex. Like it's very common. That was part of the, the school thing. You had yeah. 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 Like all of these things, like, um, you know, youth group, like was fine. Sure. Like, <laughs> uh, but, but then, um, I didn't realize that like as a, as a college freshman, I would have curfew and have to be in my dorm at midnight every night, uh, oh, that I had yeah. required chapel that I couldn't watch rated R movies. Like, um, you know, all these different, these different, uh, rules that were enforced, um, and the ways in which like your RA was basically, you know, essentially, incentivized to snitch on people like oh. or like you know like you you either had like an ra that what well, even if it wasn't an ra like yeah you, um that you're one of my major critiques uh, and something i am able to verbalize now is that uh that type of culture turns everyone into like a deviant like it makes normal behavior seem like a deviant yeah. behavior yeah. um and i just I started like very quickly was like, Oh no. <laughs> I mean, I stayed all four <laughs> years, but I became yeah. a lot more. Um, I mean, 
we'll get into it, but I, you know, that was where I had my first faith crisis and everything. And so, uh, it just from being very, very rosy eyed to running into just the reality of people being people. Um, yeah. And that was, you know, that, that was, uh, uh, a rough landing, <laughs> but that's how yeah. I was as a freshman. So <laughs> very sincere and very yeah. crestfallen, uh, at times. <laughs> well, yeah. It, yeah. It's almost, it's kind of heartbreaking to hear you talk about that because you go in, in good faith thinking it's what it should be. It should be this, you know, Christians who get along and, and when you don't, if you're not aware of all the things that Christians do argue about, amongst themselves um yeah that's that was that's a rude awakening i remember even in my state school experience in work in being in intervarsity hearing people like really get into it on little theological points was a shock to me even um at a state school right yeah yeah and i mean i i am emphasizing uh, like the things that were a shock to me I, i found friends and like the people that were my sweet mates and and everything yeah. and like my freshman year was really actually quite quite fun like i yeah. i stayed in the dorm a lot and we played a shit ton of mario kart like and some <laughs> other and like and like unreal tournament like the company that eventually unreal like that's the company that makes fortnite now you know but 20 years ago oh, they were making right. this game that was like a and this game called unreal tournament. And now, okay. now they, now they make Fortnite. But like at the time, you know, that, that was just a, a ton of fun. It wasn't, it wasn't all doom and gloom. Sure. Um, yeah. No, and like, I, I enjoyed my, I enjoyed a lot of my classes. Um, oh, good. like it, it was, it wasn't, it certainly wasn't a, um, you know, miserable experience. The things that were, yeah, formative were like the first full week of my freshman year uh is when 9-11 happened i it was a tuesday and oh, i know that right. it was a tuesday and i know that it was a, i know that it was a tuesday because it was my first full week of classes after orientation and then um i didn't have any i, I only had one night class my first semester of college and it was on tuesday like one night class on tuesday it was like a three-hour class that started at six and I stayed up until like three in the morning that night. And then, yeah. and then my, my roommate comes in and tells me what happened. And then like, because I was in this history department, what the things that were, that sort of contributed to my faith crisis that would happen throughout like fresh, especially freshman and sophomore year um, was really because I was in these history courses that, were very intent on uh, indoctrinating or ingraining in us this, uh, the biblical Christian worldview in air quotes, like um, mm-hmm. which I can now sort of name as like Christian reconstructionism or Christian re- Christian dominion uh, yeah. dominionism. Um, and like the, the degree to which those courses were sort of um, hammering this very conservative view of Christianity, this very graceless, uh, cruel way of viewing the world, certainly logical and coherent internally, but like inhumane. 
Um, yeah. And then, then I was also in these religion classes and learning about like, like learning about the development of Christianity, the development of the Bible. And like, I, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, they, they allowed their religion professors, at least at the time to sort of, even if they couldn't say that the Bible's not inerrant, you know, they, they, they incorporated legitimate modern biblical scholarship into our teaching and event. Like if you have that, you just know it's inescapable. That's, the that the text is not inerrant and yeah. like those two things like the cognitive dissonance between like sort of becoming more politically liberal in a very politically conservative place mm. um was like what made things stressful uh but then you know i did have great i had i did have a good friend group and i did have people i could talk to i you know it wasn't so isolating that I didn't have those things. Um, yeah. But it, it it was definitely, it wasn't all roses. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Yeah. But some, some seeds are being planted here. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah. 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 One of the themes of this podcast has been that it's not like liberal professors like me that really challenge anyone's faith. It it was the Bible professors who who was just <laughs> really sh- showing them what it says and and giving the context and mm-hmm. um, that's yeah. hard for a conservative evangelical to to reconcile that right um, right yeah and so, it was what yeah. like the one of my new my New Testament professor who taught most of my Greek courses and things like that I mean he was a Fulbright scholar like he had mm. he had the credentials and like the 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 way in which he would just often just stand there without without uh consulting any notes but just spout out and like give context and and refer to multiple scholars and all of this stuff like uh he was he was a wonderful professor and he he taught us a ton um and like i actually one of the thing, one of the texts that he taught us about, um, you know, he he helped us to learn Greek was the Philippian hymn, um, in Philippians, which like you know it's the passage where you know he did not consider quality with God something to be desired, yeah. took on the image of a servant and all those, the likeness of a servant and all those things, and he spent so much time talking about that being the model for how we should relate and like that being not power like the it was the service it was the and like to this day even though my my theological beliefs have changed so much since then there's so much that you could say even like you can take that and you can say okay this you can use that and but apply it to a sense of privilege and like what are the ways in which i inhabit privilege and the way in which i can even though I can't divest myself in that same way, uh, I can be cognizant and like, and like, I still carry that lesson with me, and I'm yeah. I'm thankful for those professors and like, yeah, the my writing professor, she was the person who like, told me you know she I took a creative writing class my first semester of sophomore year and like, 
she recognized that I had some skill and called it out. And I changed my major because she was attentive to that. Yeah. And now, you know, that changed my life. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I'm so thankful to a lot of my professors and even the, the one thing I will say about the professor who was very trying very hard to indoctrinate us, like he gave a, he gave me and several other people the skills to, deconstruct the things he was trying to teach us to use the terms yeah. we use now. Like, sure. yeah. like, like if he hadn't given us the sort of critical thinking, if he hadn't challenged us so much, yeah. there's no way, you know, sometimes the seeds of your own deconstruction are right there. And the people, like you said, for me, it wasn't necessarily the Bible people because they were, it was interesting at least. And during my tenure, it was people, those people were, um, very focused on like they they would focus on the text but then they would say like what does this reveal about the character of god and like the narrative the overall narrative mm. um or like what does the philippian hymn say about how like the sort of hermeneutics weren't like christian nationalist bs like they were <laughs> they were valuable things and i still uh i still value the those things even though i've added a lot more you know mm. experience and knowledge to it and even though yeah uh, my, my, you know, my personal relationship with, <laughs> with Christianity is always in flux, you know, like, uh, so. So Indiana Wesleyan had some great professors who challenged and inspired students to think deeply and to explore their many talents. And that's really cool. And still, I think it says a lot more about Blake that he could take something like the hymn in Philippians and use it to examine his own privilege as a white man in society. I did Google that because I, I was a lit writing major and I didn't remember that uh, passage. But it's not about white male privilege. It's about a spirit of humility. And how cool is it that Blake, a kind of founding father of this deconstructionist movement, whatever that is, he meditates on theological concepts to remind himself to be aware of privilege. That blows me away. What is it you want me to reconcile myself to? I was born here almost 60 years ago. I'm not going to live another 60 years. You always told me it takes time. It has taken my father's time, my mother's time, my uncle's time, my brother's and my sister's time, my nieces and my nephew's time. How much time do you want? For your progress. I hate you naturally. And I hate black people. Things are going to get worse before they get better. What is presented to me as an American does not look like me. Because you're not allowed to be a black man in corporate America. You give us a hard time for being white and being American and being in control. And when you live under a situation like that constantly, uh, and then you ask me you know, whether I approve of violence, I mean, that just doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening right now. And you know what? We need a space where we can debrief some of it and deconstruct. If you've been looking for a POC-centered podcast that engages with intersectionality, religion, critical race theory, and some hip-hop culture, then you need to check out Profane Faith. I'll be your host, Daniel Whitehodge, and we go in every other week. So check us out wherever you find your podcasts, or check us out at whitehodgepodcasts.com to see what other platforms we're on. Cool? All right.
Peace. And were, were you a two or three a week chapel situation? Three. Three, yeah. Three. And Required? We had, yes. Scanned scanned IDs. Scanned IDs. Yeah. And we had, um, uh, what, uh, six, six uh, allowed skips per semester. Ooh. Well, that's harsh. APU had 10, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. Skips. Um, but what, what students found was that, the things they were learning in, because they all had to take certain Bible classes in undergrad. Mm-hmm. And if, if you had a good professor, chapel became kind of a pain because, you know, it's a lot of chapels. <laughs> so some of the speakers are great, but some of them, their theologies and, and their views of Christianity were really, you know, problematic or overly simplified. And so mm-hmm. it was a huge sort of chasm between the level of teaching that happened in chapel versus the, the level of teaching that was happening in classes. Um, did you have yeah. that same divide? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, um, and I don't know if, if this was sort of, sort of present within, within Azusa, but like, I think a lot of the, the religion department, um, the religion and philosophy department, like there were, there were clicks within clicks, you know, like, there were the CM majors, like the the Christian ministry majors. I'm mm-hmm. one of my best friends was a youth ministry major, and he would always joke that he was majoring in eating pizza with teenagers. Like, <laughs> um, even though he took a lot of significant classes and like you know, uh, but that was his that was his major on paper. Um, and you know, then there were biblet majors and. But like the CM, the you know the CM majors were very focused on the more practical things, and the the philosophy and Bible people felt more academic, and um, and yeah, like it seemed like the the chapel was generally people that were sort of CM oriented, Christian ministries oriented. They might be doing things within the chapel, at least the student participation, and then a lot of the, I mean the guest speakers that they would bring were ran the gamut, you know, like there were people that would come up and talk about their 40 day fasts. And then there would be people that would come Mm -hmm. up and talk about, uh, you know, um, we had an ex gay speaker who, yeah, we had those two. We had an ex gay speaker that came and did a chapel and then had another session later that night. And then, like I remember that one. That one was significant a, a memory because like there was a bit of a uh I don't know, rumor or controversy or something where he called two men up, two young, you know, I don't know what grade what years they were or anything, but to role play something and they weren't taking it seriously. And this ex gay uh-huh. this ex gay speaker called them out on it. Like on the spot and said, I would find more love in a gay bar right now than I do right now. Cause I'm trying to be Ooh. serious with you guys. <laughs> and like, Ooh. and he, I, I don't know what happened after that, but like, but that was the sort of, um, and then, you know, Kirk Cameron came at one point and like, yeah, um, we had Kirk Cameron too. <laughs> he's on the circuit. He is on, the, on circuit. the circuit. Yeah. So, um, and like we would, I don't know. It was, it was, I, I skipped a lot. I don't know. I skipped a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I skipped a lot because like the whole thing is it feels 
it feels like your entire life is church. Like you're, you're literally there to learn and like, you're completely in this saccharine or like, even though, you know, there are great things that happen, there's still the, the overall environment you're in is sort of this, this PG PG 13 sort of, yeah, you feel, you feel the boundaries you feel yeah. them like you and they don't feel realistic they don't feel like like it's preparing you for living in this world right yeah and like i think part of it for me was like i was a very i was pretty social and like my all my social sociability in my high school years were geared around people that i knew from my youth group but oftentimes what i would do is i would call or text or just inform my parents who were sort of at a point in their careers where they were busy a lot, uh, I would just tell them where I was and then I'd do my thing. Uh, But now I have to like be in this room, like, or I have to check in before midnight and I'm, I'm 18. Like I could enlist in the army right now. Like, Like you're telling me I'm not, I'm not even interested to come back, you know, like, yeah. And like there would be the the tiny little stupid rebellions like uh <laughs> uh like my the my friend in freshman year who would be my uh my roommate for a couple of years after one time we just walked out of the dorm when there were 3 out of 6 RAs like in the lobby <laughs> like we were freshmen we were just like we we got a you key just, from someone else and we left like right in front of all like, of them in front and of them. like you're like peace out it's like, <laughs> it's like and we weren't gonna do any we we went to taco bell okay like there was nothing in town like <laughs> we just wanted they had oh. just added the quesadilla to the menu or something and you know yeah, like the drive through is open 24 hours yes um, and so we went and like but like that did they that, say something did, they just sort of looked at us and then like they salute you <laughs> <laughs> but Respect, yeah i mean man <laughs> we were we were the that that dorm that i was in freshman and sophomore year was like i don't know it was like the dorm that got shamed for hitting <laughs> the internet filter the most uh <laughs> you know what filter i'm talking about <laughs> it got shamed yeah. like in in a class that's required by all incoming freshmen, this class that was called world changers. Um, and we had to read the book roaring lambs. Did you, do you remember that book? Um, I, it sounds familiar. I didn't have to read it. So it's I a, did, yeah, so, it's, yeah. it's not, it's not great, but anyways, <laughs> um, but uh, we had to read, we had to read that. But I mean, in the midst of that class, like this one professor like, names hot like my hall hudson hall as like the one that hit the internet filters the most <laughs> out of all the, the male sinners. dorms it's like did you really need to do that like, <laughs> <laughs> he did yeah it's, uh... <laughs> uh but you know uh in your defense uh students would tell me the filters were not super uh like fine tuned so like you could you could be doing like legitimate research for a paper on something that that triggered a keyword or something like mm-hmm. that so yeah so yeah not to say that y'all weren't having a great time on the internet but the, 
it could have, you know, <laughs> the filters were not were not foolproof. So, yeah, 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 and and that if that was like the early two thousands too, that you know the internet was. I mean, we pretty, had pretty we had new. D, we had DSL, you know, and like yeah, I got my yeah. first laptop my junior or senior year. You know, it was right. not you did not have iPhones, you did not have no, no. high speed mobile internet. Like that was not that was not a factor. Right. Right. So as you go through your four years and you made it all four, so good job. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. What, what were the sort of like the, the demarcations along the way of like your deconstruction? Um, Cause by the time I miss, but, but you, you mentioned this before, by the time you're a senior, you're just like done with so much of it. Um, so yeah. What were the sort of, yeah, I mean, it spots. was, it was, um, a lot of it, a lot of it was like, um, it was a lot of the run up to the war in Iraq. Um, there was like a very significant sort of, uh, there was a very long established college Republican presence that was very strong in the history department. And then there was no representation from, libertarians or democrats or anything like that but um i joined like the inaugural group of the college democrats and i had some friends who did the you know who were more libertarian at least at the time i'm i'm not i I don't know their affiliation or lack thereof at this point but at the time you know i had uh friends that were sort of doing that and then um, and a lot of it was, was really around that. And then just, um, I just remember being really crestfallen that a lot of evangelicals were falling, but falling in line behind George W. Bush. And like, yeah, at the time, uh, you know, and that felt that in and of itself felt really bad. And like, and I mean, I was a, I was a college student and I felt like it was pretty apparent that a lot of the, the uh, arguments for going after going to war in Iraq was not clear. Like, okay, you initially invaded Afghanistan immediately yeah so she like, did have things everything to do with 9-11 yeah yeah because that and that was like a last known sort of presence of yeah yeah, yeah. Of, of bin laden at the time yeah and then like and then and pulled then, out and yeah and Iraq. like and then eventually all of these things start spinning up to justify this thing and it, it wasn't like a it wasn't a clean moral thing for me i mean it was like i had i had relatives and their there's my their story is not mine to tell but like i had relatives who their their life was changed because they had friend they had family they had you know people in the armed services who served there yeah 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 um and like they were in the armed services because they 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 chose that, but I mean, yeah. it's something else for the leaders to choose to send those people to, to war. Them, yeah, to war. And like, 
it just, it was so disheartening. And then, um, I don't know, there were some other events we took, uh, there was this, I don't know. I don't know. Um, again, it was, uh, it was just a one, one credit hour class. It was once a week and it was another night class. And we had a, um, the same professor who was very sort of domineering. Um, he taught this class, uh, called, uh, called whatever happened to the human race, which is based on the Francis Schaeffer book and show like TV series by the same name. Yeah. And it's about, about abortion and fantasy and euthanasia. And like, you can already tell by the grouping of those three things that it's like not, it, you know what it's going to be about. It's, it's like an anti-choice yeah. Yeah, thing. It's abortion. And yeah. <laughs> yes. It's all about, it's all about, it's all about abortion and how yeah. like, and I remember being in, in that class in the way in which he got so worked up and like, um, and it, it made me, and I'm not, you know, it made me very uncomfortable. And then I, I posited what I thought was a sort of open-ended question. Like if someone, if a woman elects to have this procedure, like, shouldn't she be shown some compassion? Like what, what went into this decision? And then the, yeah. he had a very visceral negative reaction. And I was like, what what yeah, just happened about? like yeah. like how does this relate to and to me that was the that was the hard thing like i i eventually like you know you you have these experiences in your life that that mean a lot and then you have ones that are completely contrary to it like one of the things that I haven't talked about a ton because I uh, is that like throughout my childhood and adolescence, like I spent um, my family and the, our first church, we would go on these annual service trips to the same community in rural South Carolina um, outside of Charleston. And it was a, it wasn't just like, it was a short term mission trip and then it lasted 10 days but we had a long-standing, decades-long relationship with this church and this this organization, and we always returned to the same place. And like, I started going when I was six, and they saw me grow up, and I saw them grow up. Yeah. And like, you know, we would sing, "They will know we are Christians by our love," and then like, um, and then like, that's that's the sort of service idea that I. I idealized yeah. and, and saw like, okay, this is the good of this stuff. Yeah. Um, but then again, you get back to those sort of boundaries that are there yeah. and like, and if you transgress them seem to be connected at all to, and then the no idea of, there. right. And then, then the, the idea of grace just somehow disappears. Like the only yeah. thing that really matters is that you, if you transgress those boundaries, you, right. you agree to come back and you agree to like, to be this sort of person that can exist in that. And like very few people can exist in that without 
sacrificing part of themselves. Like, I think that there are some people that, that their vibe is like, you know, they're straight and white and whatever, (laughs) like, uh, you know, um, and, and don't do anything after midnight. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, like some, like for some people, maybe that, that isn't a challenge, but the, but if you're an engaged person of this faith, then like you're probably going to challenge it from time to time. And there just wasn't that it was there. in a lot of my friends, but you know, a lot of my friends ended up leaving and the, that was the driving impetus for 10 plus years, almost 10 years later, starting to toy around with the idea of talking to people about why they left. Cause to me, that's right. the most interesting thing is like, what made you change your mind? Um, and I know I'm jumping yeah. ahead, but like, no, no, but it's good. One of the biggest differences between evangelical schools and normal schools is that special one credit evening class everyone has to take that's just meant to indoctrinate students into conservative fundamentalist views. Whether purity culture or in this case abortion, these schools force students to take a quote unquote class. I think it was called like beginnings at APU. It's funny how grace and love are taught by evangelicals as the greatest of the of the commandments by Jesus, the dude himself. But of course, evangelical schools take every opportunity to create exceptions uh, uh, according to the whims of the day. Women who get abortions? No. Barack Obama for being Barack Obama? Nope. Work as an anti-racist? Ha, nothing but hatred and scorn for you. This is today's, well, and in this episode, yesterday's evangelical. You see, Roe v. Wade might have fallen here in 2022, but Blake is remembering the absolute hatred evangelicals had for anyone who would even consider an abortion almost 20 years ago. See the connection? Because what what was it about you and your upbringing that made you... Because everything you said like about the war and, and about abortion make perfect sense to me because, you know, I'm evil like you, I guess. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> compared yeah. to those settings that we existed in in these evangelical, in, that, in this case, a school, mm-hmm. everyone around you is... Or most of the people around you have a completely different worldview and mindset. So how how were you able to sort of... You know, take the right pill and 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 open your eyes to the realities of the world. Um, I mean, I was um partial partially. I think a lot is like I have always sort of been like a voracious reader, or like you know, if you expand that to include music, like especially at the time from like you know high school through the first few years. Pardon me, after college. I was very, very into whatever, like music. I just was, uh, I just cast a wide, I cast a wide net, uh, in that respect. And eventually like I was in a, I was in a band that only performed a couple of times, but like the singer in our band, uh, introduced me and the other members to Pedro the lion. And like, here was a, here was a guy that put out, his own vulnerability of like, uh, 
um, you know, at the time it was like secrets of the easy yoke was this, this thing. And I know Bazan won't perform it anymore because it, his relationship to the song has changed, but like, you know, the devoted were wearing bracelets to remind them why they came like, um, you know, <laughs> some concrete motivation. The abstract could not do the same. Like, I mean, like he's, he, the dude did, does not miss with like a lot of his, uh, his, his commentary on this stuff. And like, um, so the church, he, the Christians were right to tell us not to listen to all this music. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, the other thing I think maybe, and I'm only sort of now just sort of started like trying to, to think about it in these terms. The thing I, I hadn't, um, maybe, maybe I wasn't aware of it at the time. Cause I feel like I'm, I'm now at the point, you know, approaching 40 that I can articulate it, which is that I have, I have a minor form of epilepsy. Um, mm. but I, uh, so like when you're an epileptic, you don't actually control, you don't have full control over your own body. Mm. Um, and you s- sometimes find a way to, um, to interrogate even and separate yourself even from your own bodily experience. And so you sort of develop this uh, ability to have like a detached perspective and like, Hmm. um, so like the observational skills that you, that you have become really highly attuned. Uh, So like, you know, um, just a, and then in addition to that, like I was, the the epilepsy itself wasn't my seizures are are minor i don't have the types of seizures that make you fall down or lose consciousness or that sort of thing Mm -hmm. Uh, i like my my arm and and when i was young and when i was a child it would be my arm and leg it would sort of look like i was limping and my my arm would flail for 15 20 seconds and then it would sort of pass but the concern was that is that it would progress and get worse. So they treated it really aggressively. And a lot of the treatment was worse than the seizures. Mm. So I did, I found solace in religion when I was young and then, um, and sort of, but then that same sort of detachment that I, that I mentioned, the way of being able to observe yourself, you can sort of extend that to environments, you know? And I think it, Mm. um, one of one of the great things from from that professor that I d- disagree with so much, um, he did introduce me to Marshall McLuhan, who is this really interesting media theorist, um, and like he has this i he has uh, as this idea that environments are invisible and like, um, and it's the the job of artists and things like that to say that he to say that the emperor has no clothes, like the mm. artists of, of many different, uh, you know, disciplines are people that, uh, that can see the environment and comment on it. Yeah. And, I, um, and, or can, or can at least keep it at a distance and, and see their relation within it and also how it operates. And so, yeah, I think it was those things that, um, and you know in in addition to some of the other stuff like it was just this confluence of things Uh, but you know my you know my dad listened to rush limbaugh my whole childhood like there were conservative influences in my life 
Yeah. It's just like, um, they didn't, I could see them and hear them, but I didn't necessarily, eventually I didn't resonate with them or like I made a different choice, you know? Yeah. Your dad listened to Rush Limbaugh and you listened to Rush. (laughs) Yes. 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 Test for echo. Let's do it. And (laughs) my, that's the later years. Yeah. 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 Or Tom Sawyer or whatever. My, my, my best friend in high school was a massive rush fan and he got me into them too. So yeah, (laughs) they they were definitely part of my deconstruction, but not in the way that the church was telling me that I was going to worship Satan or something. It was more just like, how so? I'm, I'm really curious about this. It was just because the lyrics are just so sincere about human experience and, and, Mm -hmm. Slightly rebellion, but like just, you know, it was at at best they were accused of being humanist. So and that was bad. So oh yeah, and but, they had that one album cover with a pentagram on it, the twenty one twelve. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in their prog days. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. Neil Neil Peart. Peart. Yeah, <laughs> but I just remember listening to the lyrics and thinking, this is kind of beautiful. You know, this is my pre pre English major days, but um. You know, you listen to other rock music that's, you know, about sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and that's and that's cool. But mm-hmm. here's this band that's talking about, you know, humanity and history and poetry and um, mm-hmm. the human condition in such nerdy, sincere ways. It was, yeah. <laughs> for yeah. me, like a little little Asian band geek in Southern California, it was it was irresistible. And, and musicality, you know, I was a band geek, so yeah, that's how yeah. I justified it to my parents. I was like, well, this is very musical. I, um, did you, have you ever like learned the, the rush guitar parts and stuff? Cause I, as a, as like a new, as a new bass player that really just played rude notes and worship bands, you know, like I, I would download bass tabs of uh, Getty Lee stuff and I, I would try and it'd just be like, oh my God, I can't. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's all over this. Yeah. See that's like why having... you deconstructed. You were you were deep inside <laughs> Rush bass tabs. <laughs> that had had secret satanic messages in those bass tabs. Man. That's right. <laughs> so here you are. That that's that's the root of everything. No, I mean I was yeah. I, I was uh I yeah I there were there were so many different things that sort of fed into it, and to me. I think, I think that's what's always interesting about people's stories, right? Is like, yeah. When I first started my podcast, I would, I would refer to it as the the break. You know what what led to the break was it was it one significant thing or was it sort of a death by a thousand cuts? Yeah. And I think for me, like I did do go through all that, but then I uh, and in undergrad, but then I stayed in it for another almost 10 years. Like I, um, you know, I did have unchurched periods uh, and things like that. I still got married young. I, um, uh, I was a week from turning 24. Uh, I, yeah. Um, we have similar stories, man. I stayed (laughs) eight more years. I got married when I was 24. Okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so like married young, and we, uh, my my spouse and I like she was in graduate school, and 
I went to grad school, graduate school part-time and worked full-time while she was a full-time yeah. student. Me too. And, oh, really? <laughs> Serious. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. So I, so I took, um, I took classes and it was a, uh, MA program and the, the program was a liberal studies program and you could choose like one of four focuses. And I ended up focusing on religious and ethical studies and discovered wow. uh, the school of thought called creation care theology, which incorporates environmental narratives into the biblical narrative and, and is a really, it can be a really beautiful thing and a really beautiful way for someone to express their faith. And it was like, Oh wow. There are, people who are close to evangelicalism who pursue this and like, yeah, yeah. There were people that were like, there were theologians that were pushing the envelope, that evangelical envelope for sure. Like the people that were closer were people like Wendell Berry, who is one of the most beautiful prose writers ever, like uh, writing about Christianity and the survival of creation. It's a wonderful essay. Um, that just totally enlivened things. And then there were other people like Sally McFaig who was like by her later books was like, yeah, whatever. I'm a pantheist. I don't give a shit. Like, yes, I'm a Christian, but Uh, like, yes, I also believe that, that like, that these things signal that like, there's a bit of divinity in everything. And like, and like, I don't really care if you think, I mean, she would put that in the text and, and (laughs) I, I was reading these things and, uh, you know, I found a way to relate in my, almost went to law school to become an environmental lawyer and then backed away from Dude, that. I, am, I went, I almost went to law school too. <laughs> Dude, this is weird, man. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, and then, um, right. At, a few days after I took the, uh, the LSATs, I, um, I got laid off during the great recession. And so, oh, um, so that, you know, that, that was a whole experience in and of itself. Um, and then like we ended up at a fundamentalist church, uh, and stayed for years because we loved the community and we were there for like five years. And then eventually we had, um, we had our, our daughter and we didn't, we were not ever complimentarian and that became the thing that eventually it's a, it's a problem. Yeah. The thing that eventually became a bridge too far for the leadership and, uh, we didn't, and it, it was a, you know, we got uh, holy ghosted after that. And like, <laughs> uh, you know, um, that was the end of, that was the end of our evangelical experience. Um, yeah. but then, you know, like, um, I tried to make it work for a long time. And then I, you know, if someone like me, that's a white guy, like if someone like me can't make it work, <laughs> then what does that say about everybody else? that is like trying so hard in these spaces. Yeah. Um, And like, even the thing is, is like, that was even before Trumpism. And so we, the, the way I sort of think of evangelicalism and let me know if, if you agree with this is that like, yeah, it seems like over time, the, the like circle of orthodoxy has gotten more and more constrictive. Like, like in maybe in the eighties or nineties, you might have been able to be accepted as a Democrat, you know, mm-hmm. or like, and then over time, like the conservative resurgence in the SBC, uh, you know, all of these cultural factors, like everything yeah. becomes 
highly volatile. And if you do not fit into these constraints, then you got to go. You're out. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. And, and one of the, one of the other themes of this podcast has been, if you were at an evangelical school in the early 2000s, early to mid 2000s, mm-hmm. you saw the rise of mega nation. You saw the, the seeds, mm-hmm. um, if not the actual early versions of it. Um, yeah. The theology and, and the, just the worldview just sort of tilted in that direction toward, instead of this being, it being like this welcoming, loving community that they portrayed themselves on as it became this angry, you know, judgmental group of people that were creating in groups and out groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Trump just seemed to be like a natural result of what we were seeing right back then. Right. Cause I mean, were you still in these spaces like during the Obama and Tea Party eras? Like, I was, I, I was working at APU, but I was kind of out, almost out of church by then. Okay, yeah, because to me, like, I was out of sort of evangelical college spaces at that point. But I can imagine that you know, like, I can imagine that it became very, very difficult for people of color too. And like, there have been I've heard stories of that too, but like the sort of the sort of way in which the political ascension of Obama became, it just activated everybody's latent racism, like, (laughs) and just let it then, then just, you know, um, I mean, it was mostly anti-black specifically, but definitely that extended when, when, when they need to, (laughs) to all non-white people. Um, And then, and then like with the tea party and then like, you don't, have Trumpism without the Tea Party, which is was right. in, which was in response to the election of the first black president. In many ways, right. like yes, the like I, like I'm getting out of my depth a little bit. I'm like uh, you know, Ann Nelson, who wrote Shadow Network, could like probably give you receipts. <laughs> but like, yeah. Um, but um, but you saw um, it. You saw you your saw own it. version of it if you were at church or if you were at you know like, like I was in evangelical college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Here's what's kind of wild. Both Blake and I were writing majors. We both got married at around 24. We both worked and went to grad school part time to help our wives get through their grad school. Both of us applied to law school and didn't end up going. And Jerry and I were never complementarian. Same as Blake and his wife Emily. I mean, I came up with the term exvangelical a couple of years after Blake, but man, are we the same person? Anyway, uh, Blake's book has taken a new turn into something a little different than what we talked about here, so I will definitely have Blake back in season three to talk about his book, but for now, for now, the most epic chapel probation probation story like literal probation coming up at the end of this episode Uh, and so the other thing i usually finish with is not just trump but you know the the fall of roe v wade and um just the the political landscape today it seems like this all started back in the 90s even you know with the backlash to to Clinton, ironically, but mm-hmm. um, the the rise of the the religious right as a as a political entity mm-hmm. with with Dobson and um, that crowd, 
um, it, you, most of the people are able to sort of like draw a line between, yeah, what they remember hearing in, you know, one of their classes in school to what they heard in church to what they're literally hearing now, you know, on the Supreme Court. Um, do you see those same lines? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, and I think one of the main things that motivates motivates me, the thing I find interesting about history as a topic and and everything is it explains it explains why the world is the way it is and why it isn't yeah. some other How way. How we got here. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's to me why it's always fascinating. Um and then like to me it's also interesting just within my own lived experience is to okay these are these are the people that that shaped me and then i don't why don't why don't i see myself in that or like why is this so different than what i thought yeah. it might be um mm. and then that's what has motivated me to understand those things and i definitely like because it because it's i think some people like very legitimately don't look back and i don't i don't it's okay to not look back like uh to me i can do it generally in a healthy way sometimes it can be really heavy um yeah but but like yes all of those all of those things are there and like the thing that's so interesting and sad and illuminating is just like how how much a lot of these things are have been around for a century not just not just since the 70s not sure. from right. it's not the 1970s it's the 1870s like yeah. like so many of the things that we see the all these dumb things that trend on Twitter that try to activate you into fighting with a whole bunch of Southern Baptist pastors is like about the Bible being inerrant. And it's like people were having this conversation in the 1880s yeah, and we're still having it. And what does that mean? Like, why, why do we still need to have this particular conversation over and over again? Um, and yeah, a lot of the things that Trump, Trumpism, and um, what has become of the GOP and and Christian nationalism, um, white Christian nationalism, all these things that have been present in in white evangelicalism for a long time, like the reason why it's so prevalent is because those threads are there and they go back a really long way. Like, right. yeah. uh, and like, and it's still so it can still be so fraught to talk about it because n- every single person relates to these things differently. And, um, even though, you know, you may, and a lot of times these things are just your identity, like their identity markers and they might not, align directly with like the actual his- historical truth like but yeah. th- you're mad that someone's making fun of your identity and like mm. 
I don't know. It's it's messy, and it's that's why that's why conversations like the ones we're having and the ones that have proliferated so much over the last several years are so damn valuable because they provide a you know uh, there's a like a media term like a counter public. They offer. Uh, you know, the evangelical narrative has been dominant for a long time. And yeah. now people are rebutting, rebutting that, you know, and, yeah. and objecting yeah. and saying, this was my experience. This is the history. Like all of those different things are happening and it's fascinating. It's, it's not perfect. Nothing yeah. really is. Um, yeah. But, uh, but it is, it, it it's there. And then to get back to your original question, Trumpism, like it pulls on deep roots. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and we just, you have to reckon with that. Like you have to look that dead in the eye and be like, yeah. why did white evangelicalism create a, an environment that would be so receptive to this? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a tough question for them. And we, yeah. Um, so I want to talk about your book real quick, but before you, you have to tell the story of your chapel probation. So <laughs> this, is, this is legendary. Okay. All right. So um, basically I think I mentioned before I'm, I'm leaning in for this one. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, you guys aren't seeing, don't see the video, no, but I, I've, no, I've leaned Blake forward. Just sat up and he's like, <laughs> faces in the camera <laughs> there should be some music playing right now <laughs> i am um, so pardon me at at our school there were uh, six allowed skips per semester and the rule of thumb that i always heard was basically your senior year is essentially a wash you you're on your way out you don't have to you don't have to abide by this. And so what did I do? I didn't go to a single chapel my entire senior year. And then I bet I'm, that was glorious while, while you were doing it. Like every time chapel was, and you went to your room to take a nap or do some homework or whatever, play a game. Yeah. Yeah. It was it great. Had to be glorious. Yeah. It was great. I just, you know, I would not go. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then uh then I essentially learn like the last the last um uh few weeks of school that it was that they had sort of changed the rules or like somehow maybe the who I heard these things from, you know, maybe they skirted by they didn't have to do this. Um but they were basically going to say like they were going to withhold my transcript. And even though I wasn't ready to apply to grad school just yet, like I took some time off and worked and things like that out of school. Um, I, I wanted a clear transcript. I didn't want anything yeah. restricting that. Yeah. And so, um, so anyways, what, what we had to do again, mind you, this, uh, this was, a uh this was in the early 2000s and so there were no mp3s there were not um well mp3s exist 
MP3s do exist at the time people had iPods. Yeah. But the chapel backups are not digital. Right. No. And that's critical because what you, for every skip that you have over your allotted six for, per semester, you have to listen to two chapel tapes. There were tapes, physical cassette tapes that you had to get from the uh, basement of the library. And you had to get them, and then you had to summarize the message. You had to listen to them and then summarize the message. Okay, and but so, if you've missed more than half, if you times two, that's the whole year. So did you did you have to listen to other things then? If, if they, no, I I had to listen. So I had twenty excess skips somewhere. Around. Okay, it was oh, in okay. it was okay. in the twenty. It was in the twenties. I don't know if it was exactly <laughs> twenty, but it was in the twenties. So you had to listen to 40. Mm-hmm. So I had to go down there and I basically took the entire bin. And then um, we had, we had this thing called May term, which was like a short, short. Um, you could take one, basically one class and it was super chill uh, and a lot of fun. I did it a couple of times, um, just very laid back. And so I had one credit that I needed before I could get my diploma. And I, I did that during my May term. And then even though I walked in the spring, I, you know, they gave me the diploma after this. And so okay. I knew I had time to do it during, do these 40 things <laughs> during, during May term. And what I ended up doing is I had, I jury rigged and got, I sourced two boom boxes with cassette tapes that like, they were not everywhere at the time, <laughs> even no, by then, like, no. Like the adoption of iPods was was yeah. was going fast, and people were listening to MP3s, yeah. and this was this was like prime Napster and LimeWire. Like people were making the shift yeah. to digital music. All the Gen Zers are right now googling what a cassette tape is. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, um, so I listened to two tapes at a time, one in each ear. <laughs> And then just then just wrote two word two sentence summaries of each each sermon and like they were not great and they would record the worship music so I would have to fast so forward to to right. I would have to like I think I would have to like write write worship worship song oh. titles or something and yeah. then I would have to write like a summary of of what the actual service was and I had to and I oh my gosh I just. I still have a very vivid memory. I don't even think I just sat on the floor in this room that I was renting for one month. I wasn't even on campus. I sat on the floor. I had two boom boxes uh, on one on each side of me with like short little headphone earbuds, just <laughs> wasting a couple of afternoons doing this to get no, my transcript. Like the, the Lord works in mysterious ways, and the Holy Spirit was infusing all that golden knowledge into your soul. That's right. Yes, two boomboxes. So I mean, it was. Oh my gosh! I can't. That's such a great use of time that they make you do. This. <laughs> it's, it's like it's as if okay, so you miss the chapels, you know. At APU, they would fine you. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah, it was like a couple hundred bucks. And and you had to write something. It depended. They didn't have a, a, a consistent penalty system. 
But like, okay, you miss the chapels, like as if you're going to get anything out of listening to 40 chapels in a short amount of time and writing a sentence about it as if. No, it was purely punitive. It's just, yeah, purely punitive. Like it, it is. Uh, um, well, I hope you learned yeah. your lesson uh, to to double check the, the 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 system in which you are ditching. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. I just I just figured it was sort of my my luck uh, at the time. You know, I just Did I had other else things do to the do. same thing. Were there I don't, other people I don't think also? anybody. I think some people had to do some, but yeah. I had the most because yeah. I, I just. I don't yeah, think I went record. to a single chapel. Like they I still speak of you to, to this day. Maybe I don't know. The librarian's like, "Yep, I remember that Blake Chastain coming <laughs> and, and checking out every single tape." <laughs> and I mean, it was just a grab. Uh, it was just a Tupperware box filled filled with unlabeled uh, tapes. I mean, like they did not put at the time. They certainly did not put any uh, effort into this at all. It was just you know like you dig around in this uh, and and pick some you, random ones out weren't you tempted to just like fake a couple of them it's like so yes i really enjoyed this song in the key of c and <laughs> these harmonies and i mean this, and then god we they talked about god and his love for um for I, i'm sure i'm i'm sure my heart was not in it and so i'm sure <laughs> i did did do something i did not get any notes or or rejections once it was done i mean like i don't even know who read these right like when probably i think about it, read it like yeah i would imagine it was probably like the the um the department that sort of saw oversaw all the rules and everything was called student yeah. development um and i would imagine um you know maybe some some underpaid student employee was told to do it and <laughs> who knows what but anyway at least the transcripts yeah, and so I mean, I I would do, I did do, one time I I did in an essay, I just randomly inserted the uh, the sentence, "The love of Jesus is truly amazing," as a just complete non sequitur to see if the professor would notice, and they there were no comments, so I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yes, yeah. I uh, I know I heard stories like that, so I always made sure to read every word because. I didn't want to be that professor. Caught. <laughs> um. I mean, now thinking thinking about it, like these were very overworked professors, and like you know, they didn't have. Uh, it was that at the time. I don't even know if they have it now. There was no tenure. It was yeah. like very uh, a sort of very performance based stuff. Yeah. No protections of yeah tenure. That's so. APU too. No tenure. Mm-hmm. So. So I'm going to have Brad Onishi on uh, at the end of this se- second season, and mm-hmm. he has a similar story to yours. So I'm we're, we're going to call out Brad. Can you can you top can you top Blake's <laughs> chapel probation story? Can, <laughs> I have a feeling know. he could. I I don't even know it yet, but I I have a feeling it was similar circumstances. Brad to yours, is all one. I remember. So yeah, he better start padding his story. <laughs> we're calling him out. <laughs> Well, thanks again for coming on and taking the time to. Oh, it's an honor. Thank you for having through. me. No, no. So I, I was honored to be on on Exvangelical, and um, it's the it's the flagship, the mothership <laughs> of of the movement. So, 
hope everyone keeps supporting and you know subscribes to your to your um your newsletter so yeah and subscribe to and subscribe to scott's we we link to one another's like substack is bringing yeah back, yeah substack is bringing back the blog role you know like from yeah, the yeah. early 2000s like i have to i have to get back on that i couldn't remember my password for a long time and then i just was too lazy to, to reset it and so <laughs> yeah it's been a yeah. few months so i finally got back in yesterday so nice nice I'm yeah i'm gonna start writing so so cool man thanks again for coming on yeah thanks for having me this was great Pardon my name dropping here, but Tim Pagnotta of the old band Sugar Cult was my neighbor, and he once told me that when his songs got popular, it felt like they took a life of their own, as if they weren't his anymore. Blake must feel similarly about the term exvangelical. It's taken a life of its own with other people and groups using it all over social media. And it's great. And it's complicated. It's complicated by various communities and people bringing their baggage and blind spots into deconstruction spaces, often repeating the bigoted patterns of thought and behavior that they ironically fled from in evangelical spaces. But Blake is yet another righteous human I've had the fortune to meet and get to know. And I think he is one of the best examples of cishet white men in our community. And I'm not just saying that because we might be the same person in a glitch of the time-space continuum. Yeah, Blake's a good one. Follow and support. So thanks again to Blake for coming on to Chapel Probation. He definitely has the most epic Chapel Probation story so far. Brad. So we'll see you next week for another episode of Chapel Probation. This episode was brought to you by Complementarianism. Keeping men elevated and women repressed and suppressed in submission. And keeping people like me and Blake and our spouses way far away from evangelical culture. <laughs>